This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. All right, welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting, and fishing radio. Great to have you back for another episode. This is a show that I've actually probably been uh, wanting to do for a while now. So today we're going to be talking with Bastion Green from goingdark.com.au. Now this is all about uh, thermals, this is all about infrared and everything to do with night vision. I know a lot of you guys like to get out there, you like to do your night vision type stuff, you like to do your night shooting, and I guess this is something actually different from getting out there as opposed to just your standard spotlighting. So we're going to talk about all types of thermals, night vision, we're going to talk about pricing, we're going to talk about the application of night vision, we're going to talk about the technology, say civilian versus military, and we're also going to talk about where the actual future of thermal optics and night vision is going into the future. So I reckon this is going to be an absolutely fantastic show, and I really hope you enjoy it if you're actually planning on purchasing any thermal uh, or night vision products. So, of course, if you want to join us on Patreon, uh, you do want to support the show, I'd really, really appreciate that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash AHP and join all the people on Patreon helping make this podcast possible if you do like the show. Of course, you know, going through trying times at the moment, that's something you can't afford then just share it on Facebook, share it with your friends and family. Uh, you know, I'd really appreciate that too and get the word out about thermal optics and imaging. Uh, I think it's going to be an absolutely fantastic show. Of course, you can go listen to the on the website at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. You can also listen to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts as well, also the Podbean app. And we also upload the podcast to YouTube as well. So if you can't get anywhere and you can just jump quickly on YouTube, just type in Australian Hunting Podcast on YouTube uh, and it will come up there for you as well and we're on Stitcher as well but if you just type in Australian Hunting Podcast on Google or any one of the search engines you definitely find a place to listen to all our updated shows. Uh, Coming up again the end of 2020 so it's been a very very interesting year. Hopefully, you know, by the end, start of next year, you guys are going out, you're going to be out hunting, getting back to life as normal as we know it. Well, let's hope anyway, guys, because at the time of recording this podcast, we're having a bit of a blow up in New South Wales. Hopefully by the time you listen to this show, uh, that's been moved along. So let's hope 2021 is going to be our year to achieve all our hunting goals. Things will be fantastic. If you want to purchase also, we do have a second run of stickers that have just happened as well. I think they're 18 centimetres by 18 centimetres. Good white die cut stickers for your car or your gun safe. Uh, just jump on the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Uh, if you go across to the link that says store, you can actually purchase uh, our stickers as well. And if you purchase any in the month of January of 2021, uh, I'll send you double the amounts. I think there's six dollars which is abs- for the price they're absolutely fantastic they go on the car they're die cut they look absolutely fantastic so anyone that orders any in the month of january it's going to be buy one get one free so uh, if you buy one off the site i'll send two if you buy five i'll send you ten so jump on there uh, and also too if you do buy them what i'd really like you to do is actually send them over uh, photos of where you actually put them so whether it's on your gun safe or whether it's on your car 
please send them over because I want to actually put them. I love putting them on my Facebook page. I love putting it on Instagram. I just love seeing them out there, out and about in Australia. And it's, it's amazing actually because a lot of people actually send me photos of like they might drive through uh, Bunnings for an example and they see a vehicle with my sticker on it. <laughs> So it's totally amazing. Not only when people send them to you uh, of what where they're putting them, but also when they actually spot your sticker out in public. I reckon there's absolutely nothing better than that. So it's going to be a cracker year. It's going to be a cracker year in 2021. Um, just yeah, I hope you achieve all your hunting goals for 2021, and you get out there hunting, shooting, and fishing, and enjoying yourself with your friends uh, and your family. That's the most important thing. If there's any shows you think you want to hear from, or people that you want to hear from, of course, send me an email at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, just let us know if there's people that I've forgotten or haven't thought about. Uh, let us know. Um, We've been pumping out the podcast every two weeks for probably the last four or five years now. So, you know, you're certainly getting good content. That's why if you can join us on Patreon, that'd be greatly appreciated to keep the podcast going. Of course, everyone that's on Patreon, all the people that support me, you guys know who you are. Thank you very, very much. You keep the podcast going. Without you guys, I couldn't do what I do. So thank you again for all the support. So we're going to get into the show with Bastion Green. We're going to be talking about thermals, optics, uh, you name it, night vision, and it's becoming popular. I've noticed over the last couple of years, technology is definitely coming a long way. So this is a lot of things that we're going to talk about and uh, uh, been a very much requested sought after podcast. So let's get in the interview with Bastion Green. Bastion, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Today we're going to talk about thermals, night vision and everything in between. So thanks for uh, coming on the show. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Jason. Much appreciated, mate. No worries. Let's have a chat about yourself. Give us, uh, give the listeners, I should say, a bit of background yeah. about yourself. All right. Well, basically, as you can hear, I'm not from around town. So um, I grew up um, over in Germany. Um, and as a teenager, I would uh, go out hunting with my parents. And then after high school, I joined the military, uh, became a tank commander, um, left as a lieutenant, um, started studying business uh, in Spain and Germany, and eventually or finished it off over here in Australia. I fell in love with the people in the country. Um, I mean, what's not to love here? And so I decided to stay and, um, yeah, eventually met my wife and started a family. Uh, career-wise, I've worked as a management consultant mainly for most of the time in the tech space here in Australia. And then at some point, uh, it dragged me back into the firearms industry. And um, my previous business partner and I, we, um, we tried to um, secure funding for like a BCF version for hunters and shooters. And um, we had some good good interest out of the UK and the US because they know um, how those chains work and that they can be quite profitable. Uh, but as the negotiations negotiations went on, uh, the Las Vegas shooting happened and everybody stepped back and said, oh, we can't be seen uh, investing in this industry at this point. I'm sorry. So after that uh, kind of failed attempt, which just wasn't the right time, I guess, um, I specialized in the e-commerce side of things for um, the bigger gun stores here in Australia. So I helped them out with their websites and how they're going to structure their uh, background processes within within the company and go out and advertise and do this whole online thing. Um, out of that, then eventually uh, I sat down and said, oh, okay, I, I do want to do it myself. Um, where would I go? What would I do? What do I love doing? And where's my interest? And because I'm kind of like a tech geek, um, but as well as a hunter and, and all into outdoors, uh, the intersection for me was night vision and thermal. 
you got the technology pace um, and you have still the connection to the hunters, to the community. Um, so that's how uh, Going Dark basically uh, came along. What's the difference between Germany and Australia? Big differences? <laughs> oh, huge. Um, where to start? I could do an hour about that by itself. But look, uh, just just in, in a few sentences, um, it is um, a hunter in Germany is more like a ranger here. So in order to get a firearms license, you have to do a hunter's course. It takes three months, uh, $5,000. You have to know every tree, every grass. Um, it's a written test, not a multiple choice test. And there's also an accuracy shooting test that you have to do. And then after that, um, you get your firearms license and you can buy as many rifles as you want and two pistols. Because luckily we do in Germany um, accept that putting down animals is a lot better with uh, a nine mil or, or a handgun than with a 308 at a two meter distance, right? Um, so the other thing is that we don't have feral animals as such. They're all native animals. So you suddenly become the custodian for uh, the life, um, the, the wildlife in your dedicated area. And you are personally responsible to keep the numbers at the right level. And if any animal does any damage on any property, you personally are liable. So let's argue and say hogs come through while, oh, in our case, you know, um, pigs come through, while pigs they come through and um, turn over a field, the farmer will come to you for pay up. And so you obviously have very expensive insurances in place that will compensate the farmer, but it is your liability. And therefore, it becomes more of a dedication, a very expensive dedication, than um, here in Australia where everybody uh, basically has the opportunity to hunt. In Europe, it's very much reserved to either if you know the upper class or you, you're in the upper class yourself. Wow. I never thought that would happen. You'd be responsible for, you know, the... I guess the damage to property, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And it goes to the point where if somebody if somebody drives a car through the area that you're responsible to uh, for and hits a deer and injures it, they'll call you. You have to come out and you have to try to find that deer and put him down. Um, on the flip side, any wildlife that dies on in the area, on those properties, um, is yours. And you how you get the property or the access to the property, um, it works this way that you, um, the farmers have the right to sell the license, the hunting permit as such, to a hunter at a subscription fee. So you might pay $15,000, $40,000 for an area big enough to be considered a, what's called a hunt. So it needs to have a certain size for you to be allowed to hunt on it. Um, then you become responsible, but you also have to compensate the uh, the the property owner for the privilege. Well, wow. and responsible if there's damage to it as well. That's crazy, yeah. man. That's crazy. Yeah. That's why, like, you have to be dedicated. And it's not the, hey, I'm just going to do it on a weekend kind of thing. It's a dedication. Wow. Never thought, wow. I've learned something new today about... Uh... Going to Germany. 
may yeah. not be hunting over and, there. <laughs> yeah, mate, it, the thing is, if you get an invite to ever hunt, never say no because there'll be 200 people lined up taking your spot. So you, you make you make the time if somebody is so nice to invite you along. Yeah. You you were talking about your parents. Were they, you said that was your dad obviously into hunting or you have any brothers or sisters that were into hunting, either A, still now or before coming to Australia or? Funnily enough, it, it was my stepdad and my mother. And my mother definitely was the better shot too. So um, they were into hunting. We didn't have our own uh, permit, I guess, or uh, property area, but we, we had friends who did, family friends, and they would invite us along. And like I said, you never say no. And um, as a teenager, you would be allowed to come along, not carrying a gun. And so you would be what's called, what we call in German a, a Treiber, which is um, a pusher, directly translated. And so you would stand between the hunters and the moving front that moves through the field. You would be in between hunters and you would make noise and rattle the bushes and yell out. In the beginning, you feel really stupid doing it, but you get into the spirit. And so you push the animals in front of you. And if the hunters in your line have a shot, they'll take the shot. Um, but on the other side of the fields, on the other ends, are all hunters as well. So the animals will be pushed off the field and eventually will run into a hunter somewhere and he will take a shot and hopefully hit. But often enough, they miss. And um, that's completely okay because, you know, you, you need to keep a healthy population. You're not there to annihilate the entire wildlife. Hence, um, until very recently, no night vision, no spotlighting, no thermal was allowed to be used when hunting. And therefore, the only way you're going to get a wild pig is you're going to sit somewhere at a vantage point at full moon with no clouds. And you can imagine in Germany, there's always clouds. So it's very <laughs> rare that you actually get a shot at a boar. And it would be with a day scope, right, in, in full moon. So you have to be relatively close and you'll be sitting there all night waiting for them to to walk past or you put a bit of corn out or something you can bait them in but you weren't allowed to use any technology and that now slowly is changing um and i guess the reason is that too many farms have too much property damage and so the government accepts that with the adaptation of night vision and thermal um hunters don't have to dedicate months to reduce the numbers of two or three boars. What what game can you hunt over there in Germany anyway? What sort of, I mean, obviously boars, what else can you hunt? Is there any other type of game you can hunt? Yeah, um, pretty much everything that's a pest here. So we don't hunt, well, dogs are a fair go, and there's an occasional dog that ran away from home, right? But it's, yeah, people get very, very upset when you say <laughs> you shot a dog. <laughs> it's they ran away from home. Dog, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, but they, they, they fair go if they're away, like 300 meters from the home or something. Um, and yeah, the usual. So, feather, pheasants, uh, hare, rabbit, foxes, um, um, deer species, boars. Uh, but everything has a season. So, you're only allowed to shoot everything during a certain season, and you're only allowed to shoot certain gender. 
to keep to ensure that the population doesn't get eradicated. So there's a lot of limitations and you have to know them. Yeah, definitely sounds interesting. We're just going to go to a quick break first and we'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers flexible zero interest payment options including afterpay and zip pay order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836 mate i want to ask you how did you get into i guess night vision thermals uh all that type of technology um yeah just be, i guess i'm i'm <laughs> There are a few good videos out there, comedy videos that make fun of like the hunter, the gadget guy, um, and uh, I'm the gadget guy. So I, I try everything under the sun and see if it works and improves my hunting. And uh, so one of the things I started using was um, thermal and night vision, and it improved my hunting dramatically. Um, so even a yeah, I guess. Uh, not the best tracker during the day can really score with night vision at night. And, uh, yeah, it, com- it comes basically back down to that most of the animals here, especially the feral animals here in Australia, are all nocturnal, or if they've been, shooted and been shot at, definitely be nocturnal. And so they move a lot more around at night, uh, which gives you, if you can see at night, uh, a tremendous advantage. Reflects in, in my scores, I guess, every time I go out. I guess the main question here is, you know, what is thermal? I mean, a lot of people think, you know, they know what thermal is or night vision. Can you just give like a, just a general explanation about, you know, thermal and night vision? Is there a difference between the two? What does night vision mean? What does thermal mean? And yeah, what uses we can use them for? All right. So um, there are three main parts. One is the traditional night vision. So the traditional night vision um, is are what's called image-intensifying vacuum tubes. So whenever you see um, special forces, you know, movies, Hollywood movies or computer games and you see anything in that green-black kind of color scheme, that generally is what we um, understand as traditional night vision. And how that works is you have um, basically a little tube, and on one end, the photons from the starlight that the starlight generates um, go in, and they get transformed into electrons. They get uh, intensified, which means just more of them. And then on the other end, it generates an image, um, which then is again in photons, uh, which we with our eye can see. So what it means is basically you have very, very, very little light and tiny light source such as the stars. And on the other end, you have enough of an image that we can see with our eyes. Now, the important thing to understand there is um, it's an analog signal. So it can't be recorded. It can't be changed. It can't, any, nothing can be added to the signal itself. It's just what it is. Now, that is the traditional uh, 
military equipment, or to this day, uh, we still continue to use that in the military because it doesn't require an external light source other than starlight as such. Now, the limitations are, one, it's very expensive. Two, uh, it only works if there is starlight at the very least around. Um, so in a building, or it, it wouldn't work, right? You need an, an additional light source or infrared light source. The last thing is it's restricted. Um, so we can here in Australia get generation one, generation two, and generation two plus for the civil use, but that's pretty much it. Where in the US, um, you can get um, three and four, and I think the military is above four these days. Now, um, the contrast to that is what's called digital night vision. The technology is absolutely different. It is basically nothing else than a digital camera. Remember those cameras with a little screen on the back before every phone had a camera? Um, now it's phone, the, the same technology we use in our phones. So what we have there is we have a sensor that senses the, the incoming light. It um, submits that via a digital signal to the processor, nothing else than a computer processor. And then from there, it goes onto a screen or a mini display, which is <clears throat> what we what we basically see with our eyes. So nothing different to the little camera on the back of your phone and then your display on the other side. However, um, these cameras are very sensitive to uh, near-infrared light. So just out of the spectrum for the human eye, um, basically but um so sorry what, what that means also from the pro from pro side of things is it's very cheap because that technology is getting better and better um and because it's in every phone and every camera and every cctv camera it's just readily available which means it's cheap it's a digital signal which means you can um record it you can add audio to it via microphone you can add um, a radical compass information. You could add a laser rangefinder information. Um, so you can play with it and you can get a lot of features with it. The downside is that the battery life uh, used to be about two hours max, but now is up to 18 hours for some products versus the military grade night vision. Uh, it would, or the traditional night vision, it would be 20 hours and above with a single CR123 battery. The next thing is that obviously it, digital night vision is useless to the military uh, because you need a infrared illuminator uh, to generate enough light for the sensor um, basically to see because it's not as sensitive as the traditional night vision now for the military that means basically you have all these people running around with infrared torches at night and if the enemy has night vision then they're going to stick out so it's useless for the military purposes but for our hunting 
animals tend to not shoot back. Um, so that's that's very, very good. <laughs> that's anyway, interesting. That's- How does one question I've got, side question, I'm not sure if you've probably heard this before, but it's like when I do I to make a few videos occasionally for YouTube and so forth, and maybe when I'm out there, I use my mirrorless camera for a bit of astrophotography with a certain type of lens. You know, So how does light pollution, like you especially would talk about trip, I know we don't have much of that, as you said, the traditional night vision, so like military, how does it make a difference? Like light pollution, you know, if I try and do star effects here in Sydney, like I'm in Western Sydney, the light pollution from all the lights and from the city just is not conducive to a good, you know, a good astrophotography shot or video, you know. But yet if I go out three, four hours, the light pollution is low. Uh, you know, I get fantastic, beautiful star trails and so forth. And how does that make a difference, especially with you said the traditional with um, – the light available from stars like if you're using the traditional in like you know areas where there's going to be a lot of light pollution does that affect it is that is that a big problem um okay so the traditional night vision basically what you see in the movies is is somewhat accurate um uh, as soon as somebody turns the light on in a room you know you you would get blinded um it would be way too bright um, they have now what they have in there are shutters. As soon as it goes too bright, it just shuts off. Um, so traditional night vision becomes useless uh, around bright light sources or light noise. It, it becomes overpowering. Uh, from a digital perspective, it's not going to be a problem. Like the digital sensors will just adjust. Uh, the only uh, the only thing to I guess really note is. Some products like the Digex from Pulsar um, is so sensitive to infrared light that it can be overbearing if you were to use it during the day without closing the cap. So that particular one has a small hole in front of the cap, which you use, uh, you close the cap and there's enough light coming through that tiny hole um, to be usable but if you were to have the cap open it would just be overbearing and you wouldn't see anything it would just whiten out so also too how come how come the military they don't want us to have the you said the you know tf3 and 4 and so forth what <laughs> we're not allowed to have the good stuff eh? <laughs> well the we could if they were made in australia the problem that we're having is um they made either in the us or china and neither of the countries um, want to share that. Um, and they especially don't want to share it with, let's say you buy it in Australia and then you ship it to somebody who ain't friends with the US. So they want to keep all of that technology out of enemies' hands. Um, and they just go, yeah, as a civilian, you, you don't need it. There's no purpose uh, for you to have it. And therefore, you don't. And that falls under under what's called the ITAR restrictions. Okay, right. Yep. So talking about so the main ones that we're going to be talking about, obviously for the, the, the shooter and hunter, is the digital night vision? Yes. So the digital night vision and then and then the thermal. Just to finish off on the digital, um, I mentioned that you have to use an IR illuminator. So an IR illuminator is nothing else than a normal flashlight, um, but the LED or the bulb in, or in this case, LED these days, uh, the LED in that flashlight only uh, emits near-infrared uh, wavelengths or light, which the human eye can't see. And there's an important uh, important difference between what's called an 850 
and a 940. So the 850 nm stands for nanometers, that's the wavelength, and then we have a 940 uh, nanometer wavelength. The 850 um, is more recognizable by the digital night vision devices than the 940 at, uh, at the same power output. So what that means is that the 850 will give you a longer range or longer distance to shoot than the 940 because you just need so much more power for the 940 and they tend to not be available uh, or not yet on the market. Um, Now, the downside on the 850 is that that wavelength will lighten up the bulb and the objective lens of the flashlight so if you look into the flashlight the whole glass part would be shining red you wouldn't see any light and if if you hold it against the wall you wouldn't see anything and neither do the animals but you can see the red bulb so what i found at very short distance i'm talking like 20 30 meters to a pig they'll notice when you turn it on and they're not liking it if you have so if you shoot uh, anything under 100, 150, and you don't want to shoot further, and that's your limit, you can use the 940, where only the LED itself shows red. So it's so tiny that there's no way they're going to know. Um, so you can get really, really close, turn it on, and not be worried about it. But if you want to shoot beyond that, you have to have an 850. You just have to be aware that. Um, you want to dim the light slowly up or bring the light slowly onto target so they don't get scared by suddenly seeing this red light or this this red bulb um, popping up at 20 metres distance, which might. Yeah, right. Definitely very interesting. What about, like, so when you obviously were, were shooting, tell us about the two different devices. Obviously, you've got the illuminator, which sends out that, well, I'm guessing that infrared signal or beam, whatever yeah. you would like to call it. So, so then what's the instrument that's actually capturing that, like capturing the image that we can actually see? Is it just a, is it a, is it a scope? Is it, the, is it a combined together? Is it a, um, a display that's coming in? Let's say we're on a quad or something and we've got a illuminator and then we've got like a, a, a five or six inch display. Like how does that work? Yeah. Okay. So, um, Think of it like this. Think of it when you have a digital night vision scope, right, such as the DJX from Pulsar or the ATN Excite 4K or something like that. Um, it's basically, in essence, a scope, right? If you were to compare it to a DACE or the, the – sorry, let me start over with that one. But so if you have your day scope and you were to attach normal torch to go spotlighting at night, right, now, switching to night to digital night vision, you would have a digital night vision scope and you would have the torch on top, but the torch would only admit that infrared light, which you can't see, but the scope itself can see. You can obviously also use that in combination with a digital night vision monocle. Um, it would be the same. It would be the same. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what are people generally? You, I mean, for, actually, let's go first off this question. I mean, um, 
why should we use night vision? What's the differences between night vision? Uh, have we spoken about that? Night vision and thermal. I mean, is it so someone comes to buy something? Because, again, years ago, I mean, we saw a couple of the – this is probably only maybe three years ago, two to three years ago. I'm not going to mention brands, but some of them that we saw that were quite expensive – you know, you really couldn't tell. These were more thermal, obviously. You really couldn't tell what was in front of you at 30 metres. And, and I guess they were used for more of a, a, a deer tracking type situation at night, at least if you were maybe hunting at night or spotlighting and you happen to want to track, you could use these items. But, you know, there was a lot of a difference in what you could actually see and what you could actually make out. So I guess what should we be using? What's coming these days? Is thermal still as popular? Is it definitely using IR illuminators? You know, where are we at? Okay, so let's just tick off thermal, right, and then and then combine it all together. So um, thermal vision works uh, very similar to digital night vision, where from a technology perspective, we have where you have a, a sensor, a processor, and then your screen, right? So that's the, pretty much the same. The difference is that the sensor um, records, oh, sorry, not records, but um, senses uh, thermal radiation, so heat signature. So it's a little bit like eraser, like or that kind of, or predator from the movies, that kind of uh, vision. So it's heat. It's not light as we understand it. It's still a radiation or a wavelength, but we, we feel it as heat. So any object will emit this thermal radiation, and we can through these thermal devices, can just see that heat, if that makes sense. So what what it means for us is, one, we can tell the difference instantly between a living thing and not living things like trees, rocks, uh, grass, or whatever you want. Everything has a temperature, but the temperature difference is basically what we bank on. We can use it in total darkness and it's absolutely invisible because we don't shine any light out. We are just receiving and analyzing what comes in. Now, to make that happen, um, in those thermal devices, uh, you have to use a material as the lens, which is called germanium. And germanium is a rare earth and it's extremely expensive. And so... That is one of the biggest reasons why thermal devices are way more expensive is because we have to pay for that rare earth material to make the lens. Now, to come to your question, um, the challenge with thermal versus digital night vision when it comes to detection, recognition, and identification of targets is that in one sentence, you would need a very, very expensive thermal to get the same distance uh, in terms of identification than you could do with a $1,000 digital night vision. And the reason is because you see the heat of the animal. So you only get the shape. You don't get the contrast. You don't get... Uh, well, you do, but you have to be really close or it has to be a really expensive thermal. So on the flip side, digital night vision works in a 
gray to black scale, white to black scale, or green scale, doesn't really matter, but it's in one or two color schemes. Versus thermal um, can be in different color schemes, gives you a little bit more information, um, but it really makes the animals the animals pop, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I know a lot of people will probably be sitting here, and I saw some of this stuff, you know, probably a couple of years ago, and yeah, not making you know out what it actually was. And I thought it'd be just, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people that will listen to the show will say, "Well, you absolutely have to identify your target before you actually pull the trigger." That's the most important thing, especially if the farmer has stock. But I've seen some of the digital. As at night vision, as you've said, if you get some quite good stuff, um, you can't even, like I've seen a guy, I think he had one on like a quad and so forth and had on top of the quad. I think the IR was on top of the quad and whatever it was, might have been a built-in unit, but it came down to a like a um, little LCD screen. And, and even at distance, you could, I mean, clearly, I think he was shooting rabbits at one stage and I think you could obviously clearly tell they were rabbits at that distance, which is fantastic. Whereas, you know, years ago, you saw the thermal, a big blob, and anyone taking a shot... At that type of stuff would just be a crazy thing to do. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't know where the head is. Uh, yeah, I completely I completely agree. So how it works is, um, or how how I advise my customers is spend as much money as you can on a thermal monocular because if you know the animal is where it is, you can always go closer either with a red light torch or with a digital night vision scope and find out exactly what it is at two, 300 meters, right? If I want to know 100% at 300 meters with a thermal scope what animal I'm looking at, unless I've seen it move and I know how it moves and I have experience, you're looking at well, 5,000 plus terms of dollars yeah so the the cheapest way is get a thermal monocular see what's there see that something is there and if you can't exactly tell what it is um get closer and use yeah red light or digital night vision because it gives you um for the price the best distance to 100 percent identify what it is I went out with a hunter. He used thermal. I used digital night vision. And um, he he always said, I only will take the shot when I can see the ears of the animal. By that time, I'm so close that I'm 100% sure it's not a cow or anything stock-wise. It's a pig, for argument's sake, right? And we are in this field, and the pigs are there. I use my digital night vision, and I could tell 200 meters out, they're pigs. I can see them. They're black pigs. They're black and white pigs. I could definitely make them out. And he's like, oh, we got to get closer. We got to get closer. And uh, his scope was twice the price of mine. And I said, mate, look through mine. Just look through mine, confirm, and then we can, you know, take the shot. In the end, now nah, he couldn't be convinced. He needed to get close. He needed to see the ears through the thermal. And I think we shot, we took the shots at 50 meters. Yeah, right. but yeah i mean good on it's him I, I like that too that people you know the even if you can tell it's always you know good to get close i guess to put someone's mind mind at ease i think that's a that's a pretty good thing as well even though you're 100 percent right <laughs> sometimes people can't be convinced can they and i guess when it comes to firearms it uh, makes sense 
oh mate, he was doing he was doing the right thing, right? You got to remember, you shoot somebody's stock, you ain't coming back. Exactly. And he and he was a professional color. It was his business, and um, word spreads really quickly from one farm to another. So there was no way in hell he was going to take a shot if he wasn't a hundred percent convinced and basically almost hears them. So um, yeah, he, he's done the right thing, right? And well, we got closer, so we got more of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got to, we'll go to a break first, but I've got some very good questions about, you know, I guess why we should use night vision, especially at night when walking around. But we'll go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Gunkeeper has been developed by the National Shooting Council to help gun clubs with cash grants to help them keep members and keep their doors open. It also helps gun dealers and other shooting businesses attract and keep customers with incentives. If you run a gun club or gun business, make sure you put your hand up for Gunkeeper today. For more information, go to the National Shooting Council's website at nationalshooting.org.au. Bash, I want to talk about, you know, I mean, the benefits of, uh, of being out there with, I mean, as you said, digital night vision. So, like, I like to shoot rabbits occasionally. I shoot them during the day. I like to long range shoot them. But there's certain parts of um, coming down this mountain, this property that I do go to, where I know they like to congregate on the side of the road, but it's very difficult once it gets dark to get up there because during the daylight, they obviously see you, they shoot back into the grass, they're pretty much gone. So, when I'm obviously walking up on them, if I'm using some sort of digital night vision, what can those animals actually? Actually see, I mean, they might be able to hear me coming up on the road. They might hear me walking over some rocks and so forth. So can they actually see, well, like especially rabbits and so forth, those smaller game animals like foxes, will they actually see like the, the IR illuminator or pretty much not at all? And is that the benefit of night vision, obviously, to get closer so they don't know you're there so you can obviously shoot them? All right. There's a couple of things to that. Um, first thing around the illuminator if you use the 850, they'll be able to see it, depending on how close you want to get. Um, the 940 would be your choice, right? With the 940, you can basically say, no, they're not going to see you. Thermal, they're also not going to see you at all. Um, the big thing about nighttime hunting is wind. So you can be as close as 20 meters to a mob of pigs that are feeding they're so loud, so they're never going to hear you coming. Um, but if they get your scent 300 meters out, you never see them, right? So if you just have to make sure you come from the right direction, from downwind, and you get real close and personal. That's basically that's 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 what it comes down to. Um, the big big benefit is you're going to get the first shot. It's a it's a hundred percent first shot hit guarantee. Well, if you're a bad shot, then I don't guarantee for anything. But if if you can hit your target, um, then then you're good to go. The first one is yours. Anything after that is you know um, free game. But that said, even after the first shot, they tend to not move as much as during the day, where they actually make you out. They just heard a loud noise, and one of his, one of their mates is gone or not responsive anymore. And they might hop or they might run, but they're not going to run or hop as far as during the day. And then they start feeding again most of the time. So you just keep your cool. You shoot one. They run away. 
you make your way back, or you take the second shot from there if the distance is still okay, and you just keep on doing that. Eventually, they, they get the gist and bugger off. But you tend to get a multiplier on your kills uh, when you do it at night. Yeah, when you were talking about the, you know, the 850, 940 Illuminators, I mean, does it does this all rely on, again, distance? Depends on the quality of Illuminator that you get. Is there better Illuminators than others? Obviously, ones that are much more powerful, get much more distance, etc. Oh, absolutely. And um, I've been out hunting the other week and testing products, and I was so stoked to see this new product in the market. So let me step back. In general, uh, absolutely, right? The more powerful your Illuminator the greater the distance you can shoot. And traditionally, the 940, the most powerful 940, would get you to that 150 mark, right? Anything beyond that would be an 850, and they would get you to about uh, 300, just, right? Which is a long way at night. Like, you don't have to shoot 300 meters. You can walk up generally. The only exception are dogs, what I've found, because they move through the countryside so quickly. Uh, the 30 second window to take the shot unless you get them in um, and, and for that you need you need that distance now that was the limiting factor right the digital night vision scope generally with the quality of resolution would be able to shoot beyond but you were limited by the amount of light or infrared you can generate uh, at the point of impact now that has changed since this new um, illuminator came out uh, it's called the uh, Sniper Hawk Coyote Cannon, and it is a cannon, mate. It is a monster of a flashlight. It has uh, interchangeable LEDs, um, so you can change different colors, but the 850 IR LED generates, and it says... And I thought, oh, this is bullshit. Uh, it says you can you can see up to a mile, so talking 1.6 kilometers. And I'm like, that's unheard of. That's not never ever. Um, and I took it out. And shit, you not. I could not find a spot on the property where I had a clear line of sight beyond 800 meters. And at 800, I was still seeing like daylight. It was so impressive. Um, now, downside is that anything close up 20, 30 meters um, is a little bit overpowering. The next thing is it's a big thing. It's It has a bit of weight to it, obviously. Uh, when you see the imagery, you, you know why. Um, and the last thing is you're talking $800 retail, right, for the torch. Uh, so it only becomes really useful for people that, do want to go that extra distance, do have to go that extra distance. But now with that uh, infrared illuminator, uh, the limiting factor currently is the scope itself, that you need enough resolution at that distance to tell what it is, is number one. Number two, there's no way in hell you're going to see a deer at 500 meters by looking through the scope in black and white or in a green scale, unless you have a deer running through in the open field, uh, you, you won't 
be able to to spot the animal. So it basically then comes back full circle to the thermal devices or thermal monocle, which will tell you that something is in the distance and even maybe at 500 meters. And then you swap to your digital night vision scope with the cannon, with the Coyote cannon, and you light it up. So I was going to say too, like, I mean, when you're obviously out there, you know, these things obviously require power. I mean, how they generally power, what's the runtime? I mean, you know, people often go on hunts, maybe they don't have access to places to be able to charge and things like that. Are they just USB powered? Are they, are they changeable? Because I know probably a lot of people would probably want, you know, changeable batteries that way. You know, there's a lot of companies out there putting out torches and so forth that are just, you know, USB powered. And eventually those batteries sort of go bad after a while. So what's the runtime? How are we powering them? And, and what sort of juice do they need? Right. Um, okay, so we got to differentiate internal batteries that you can't take out and the device is not going to work if the power goes out and you basically have to charge it before you can use it again. You then have changeable or interchangeable battery batteries or battery packs. Sometimes they're proprietary batteries, so you have to buy the right battery for the right device from the right brand or at best case, uh, you can use a CR123 um, or other batteries. Keeping in mind, you probably want to go down the rechargeable route because a CR123 in, for example, the Fleur Bridge will last an hour and a half. So if I go hunting over weekend at $9 a pop per battery, you're talking hundreds uh, or at least $100 in batteries. So you got to go rechargeable and highly recommend always to go high-power rechargeable lithium batteries when it comes to uh, normal uh, changeable batteries. And then the last thing is uh, the usage of external battery packs. So what I find uh, going out with these devices is that the bottom end of the spectrum in terms of uh, thermal devices uh, you have internal batteries. Also, from a digital night vision scope perspective, uh, some have uh, proprietary, proprietary uh, batteries like the Pulsar DJX. Uh, the ATN-X side um, has an internal battery as an example. But what I tend to do is whenever it's an internal, I'll have an external battery pack with me. So when I'm out bush, and the batteries nowadays from anything you buy new now is at the very least four hours, which gets you, if you go all night through half the night, if you if you always turn it off and turn it on again, you might get six, seven hours out of it, but you won't get through an entire night. So um, I always carry an external battery pack, and that can be any um, USB port um, battery pack uh, in my pocket. And whenever I don't use it for a while, um, I plug it in. It becomes a little bit more difficult when you're talking uh, scopes rather than monocles because you can put those in a backpack or in a pocket. Um, the scope, what I do there is I mount the external battery pack on my rifle stock, um, on obviously the other side where my cheek isn't on. Um, and you can buy really cheap um, bags basically uh, for that. And then I run a cable to the scope and plug that in but these days to be honest the atnx side has an 18 hour battery life that never runs out um and so i always um it you it works throughout the night now if you're on a backpack hunt um 
you'll need some type of either a bigger battery, but that means weight, or you need a little bit of a solar panel that powers up your external battery pack, which then uh, in turn charges any of your devices. So, yes, it becomes a little bit more, uh, I guess, organizational work. You got to keep in mind that at some point you need power and you just need to think through what suits you best. Um, when it comes to buying devices, look, the best is if you have interchangeable batteries that aren't proprietary because then you don't rely on, you know, $80, $70 worth of battery packs to buy. Um, the next one down is interchangeable. So you can buy a few uh, so you don't ever get in a position where you're about to take the shot and then the battery fails and, you know, a few seconds later by the time you have a new battery in, the the shot just doesn't happen anymore um and then the last is obviously the last or the least preferred is internal batteries in general um and one factor there is eventual failure so any bag of battery internal or external will eventually fail after a certain amount of uh, recharges and you can take that risk away by having an external or interchangeable battery so however that said so far, I haven't had a single battery failure on any of the products that I've sold. Uh, it doesn't happen very often at all. And, you know, if they hold up to 10,000 rechargeable cycles, um, that's a lot. That's a lot of hunting. By then, the technology is so advanced that you want to sell it anyway. <laughs> what about when you talk about social media and, like, obviously people want to, you know, they love that sort of getting it on camera. Can these things record or what's the best way to record, uh, you know, video? They want to use it, you know, part of their hunting videos or whatever? Yeah, um, <clears throat> there's a big difference, actually. So the, the entry-level devices uh, most likely will not be able to record. Um, so the very, very entry ones. Um, and even if they were able to record, the pixelation would be horrific and nobody would want to watch it anyway. Um, and then you go up the up the line to the medium range, I guess, the, the better products. Uh, what you'll find is they often record on your phone. So they're Wi-Fi to your phone. So they don't have internal capacity to record on the device, but they're Wi-Fi to your phone and then record on your phone. Now that becomes oh, annoying because you're sitting out there in the bush and you kind of have to work with the phone and have to work with the monocle. And oh, it's just something I recommend. If you want footage, don't go down that route. It's just the pain in the bum and you're there to hunt and, and capture the experience and not try to fiddle around with technology. Um, then another option, and then if you continue to go up, is um, the device records um, the footage internally. Some will not record audio. For some people, that doesn't matter because they overlay their own music or their own soundtrack or whatever. But uh, look, and this is me personally. I love to hear the sound, the whispering to your mate going, oh, yeah, I got him. I got him. I'm ready. You ready? You know, all this intensive, um, yeah, that's when you get the goosebumps, right? And then you hear the shot and, and you might hear the pig squeal or whatever. Um, or you might not. But for me, that's that's what I love and I love seeing and experiencing. So you got to pay attention to the 
product information of the product or just ask from whomever you buy if audio is included is being recorded and if it is recorded on the device so the top of the line equipment will all record um, on the device and sound um, but yeah just make sure and then you can you know download it onto your computer onto your phone and then share it with your friends to the point where um, some of the pulsar range connects to your phone and you can live stream so i mean here in australia it's, it's not that usable because we tend to hunt in areas where there isn't much reception but if you were to have a 4g tower uh, you know around your property you could technically upload it live to facebook as you hunt and, and start shooting the deer or whatever prey I want to talk about in a minute though, just about like brands and budgets and pricings and those sort of things. Not pricings, but just generally brands and what we need to spend. But is it you know when we're using um, you know the digital night vision or night vision in general? I mean, is this something you've got, I've got to take off throughout the day? I mean, are these able to be used uh, during the day as well as say a normal scope? How does that generally work? Because you know some people don't want, might not want to take it off. Some people are happy to you know take them off. And also, how do we mount them to the to the rifles? Is specific rings? Is specific mounting options that you need to use? Yeah. All right. So to your first question, traditional night vision is use, useless during the day. You can't use it. Okay, so it's only usable for nighttime. Digital night vision can be used during the day and the night, um, and thermal can be used during the day and the night. However, thermal specifically um, has limitations. So it works phenomenal during rainy days and foggy days because everything kind of gets this, has the same temperature. So all the objects out there in the fields and woods have the somewhat same temperature because of the rain. Um, and anything living really stands out. So that's awesome. Super helpful. Um, so superior to, to the um, digital night vision. <clears throat> However, if you're in the outback, especially in the Queensland outback, and every rock is like 60 degrees hot and every tree stump is like 50 degrees hot, you're going to have difficulties seeing popping out animals uh, between all these hot, hot, hot objects. And basically what you rely on is movement. So you're looking for anything that moves rather than anything that's hot. So that's, that's pretty much the limiting factor. Um, and then thermal as the night goes on, especially in the early morning as the sun it's just about to rise and you hit the bottom temperatures throughout the day, you get the biggest difference between heat from animals and the coldness of the ground. And that gives you the best picture uh, quality as such and, and experience. Mm. So, <clears throat> so then now coming to your question around mounting. Yeah, mounting, mounting is a thing. Mounting is also something that you <clears throat> just need to be aware of. And, so you have different options to mount um, these scopes right, onto onto your firearm. So we got three, uh, two, I call it two and a half options. One is a rail attachment. So what it is, it's uh, basically two or three screws that are screwed into the device, and then uh, some type of rail mechanism comes down, um, and normally they get attached to a Picatinny rail. 
Now, one of my rifles, um, I have a steel action 308, um, German gun, obviously. <laughs> um, had to buy one. Um, the they have integrated Picatinny uh, bases on the action, but it's not a connected uh, Picatinny rail. And so some of the thermals, they don't have enough grip on that small piece of Picatinny base, and they need a full-length Picatinny rail. So that's just something to keep in mind. If you don't have a full-length Picatinny rail, make sure before you buy it, and assuming you don't want one, make sure that your night vision or thermal scope uh, can attach to your base of the action. The other option is rings. And so some of the scopes, especially in the, uh, the newer ones, um, the Thermion from Pulsar, the TJX, um, they all look like scopes, right? They have the shape of a scope, and from the distance, you'll be like, oh, that's a scope. But um, oh, oh, therefore, they have, in this case, uh, a 30 mil tube, which means you need 30 mil rings. And then it's just like any other scope, right? You just mount them as you normally do. You just need to make sure that your um, 30 mil rings fit your base on the action and you're good to go. Now, what I personally do and what I recommend is if you happen to have the option for a quick release rings or quick release rail, um, take it. Because what I do is... Um, I like my day scope, right? And most of us have spent a lot of money to get that really nice day scope. So why would I put a digital night vision scope on it, use that during the day when I got a real nice day scope that just gives me better clarity in the very first place? Assuming I don't want to record my shots, right? Because normal day scope can't do that. Um, <clears throat> what I do is I go out just before dawn Oh, sorry, just before uh, the sun goes down. And uh, I sit at, let's say I sit at a dam, right? And I wait as the sun goes down with my day scope mounted. And then when the sun is gone, or just about to, then I just grab my digital night vision or thermal scope out of the back, out of the backpack. And within 30 seconds, I'm ready to roll. I don't need to move. And I can just continue sitting there and I can just see all the animals come in. Um, just as the sun goes down and, well, uh, even after that, where traditionally with my day scope, I either would have to change guns, which normally I don't carry two guns. Um, I carry enough gadgets. Um, so I would probably leave, have dinner, come back out, and I would have missed that crucial time where the first lot of deer and pigs and everything else jumps out to drink. Yeah, okay, right, yep. Yeah, no, it certainly sounds like a lot of fun. We're just going to make we'll go a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about, you know, brands. We're going to talk about, you know, costings, how much it's going to cost us, how much we need to spend to get some good quality. So we'll uh, do that and we'll be right back. Renowned for their strength, reliability and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. 
Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. All right, Bastion, now the, the uh, I guess, the wallet-burning question. <laughs> how, much, how much do we need to spend? I mean, realistically, because people don't want to be disappointed, you know, buying something that might be, you know, a certain price, thinking they're getting something that should be better and they're not happy with it. So what, what, do, what do they realistically need to be spending? What are the brands? Where's the technology at? And what do they need to spend? All right. <laughs> Heaps of questions. All right, let's um, let's start with um, let's start with the gear. <clears throat> so, when you look at budget, right? You have small budget, and you just want to really make a difference uh, to your hunting and really improve your uh, your your hunting. What should you spend your money on, right? And so, um, when I have customers like that, I, I basically tell them. Um, this is the setup that I would run, right? And it gets you it gets you seventy percent there to compare to spending whatever you can, which gets you to one hundred percent volume in a sec. <clears throat> so when you walk or stalk, what you want to do is you want to have a red light headlamp, right? A small little headlamp. Just make sure it's red light because animals tend to not react that much to red light. So that enables you to move at night in. I guess, semi-darkness, right? You can see, you can walk, and you might not get exposed to animals, but you can freely walk around and at least get into position um, where you want to be without turning on a torch or flashlight or something. The next thing is you mount a red light torch onto your day scope. Again, if you turn on and you're careful on how you turn on that flashlight and bring it onto a target, um, you can get really close and animals tend to not be spooked by a red light unless they've been shot at with red light previously, which a lot of people are not using red light, so there's a very, very chance for you to get really close, use the red light, and use your day scope, right? And so far, you would have spent, oh, what? 20, 30 bucks if you buy it from like aliexpress.com.au out of China. Obviously, you can go high end and buy a $200 or a little bit even above that red light torch, um, a red light scope torch. But if budget is a thing, uh, you know, you spend under 50 bucks and you got those two pieces. The next thing is where you're going to put your money. You're going to put as much money as you can afford into the best thermal monocular with the greatest zoom, and this is important, because you're walking, you don't need field of view, you need distance. Because you don't, field of view and distance um, are trade-offs. You have a lot of field of view, you're not gonna get the distance. So when you're walking, you don't wanna be walking everywhere, so you want the distance, and then you sneak up on the prey. So that's where you're gonna spend your money. Now the entry, the entry starts at about 1500 Anything under 1500 is, is basically a toy. <clears throat> Don't bother. Anything above $1,500 um, is, is, where, is where things start and where things make a huge difference. So put your money in that. And for some, that's a day scope, right? Um, it's not four, three, ten thousand dollars $10,000 as it used to be. Uh, the entry level is now... 1500 and above and uh, any dollar you can put into that to get it above 1500 is well spent and the last thing is a monopod or a bipod or tripod 
Um, again, you can buy them for 50 bucks straight out of China. Um, and just so you have a rest, so that you're able to take that first 100% uh, shot. And then after that, you have somewhat of a stable platform to take any follow-up shots um, on the running animals, right? or you just wait. And you don't have to um, yeah, hold up your rifle. Now, if you're a real good shot, um, because you have to remember, you have extra weight. With that torch on top of the scope already, um, it, it, it's going to get heavy, front heavy. So um, if you can have that, great. If you can't afford it, don't bother. Find the next tree or kneel or, you know, train to shoot standing. When it comes to cars, it's only different when, when you're in a car. Um, in a car, you want the maximum field of view that you can have. Um, and the reason is, imagine you look through binoculars while driving. You're going to get seasick. So the same thing with thermal. If you have a high magnification, just like binoculars, um, you, you're you going to get seasick. So you want to have a wide field of view so you can cover a great distance and look through it while driving. Otherwise, you have to drive, stop, drive, stop, drive, stop, and scan in between. Now, <clears throat> that's the budget. So altogether, you know, $1,700, uh, very well spent. And that will just, yeah, it will make such a difference. Just, just one question. Sorry if I've got this wrong. When you say mon monocular, is that like the, the, the scope actually connected to the gun or is that something we're holding separately and we've also got something on top of the gun or have I just got this totally wrong? <laughs> no. All right. Sorry. I, I never really explained that. So you basically have uh, three or four different types of devices, right? You have um, binoculars, as everybody will know, day binoculars, right? They also come at in a digital night vision or a thermal version. And then you have monoculars, so only for one eye. Um, again, come in all variations uh, or in all different technology types. Um, then you have monoculars that are so small that you can mount them on a helmet. That's what I personally use to move around. So I don't have to hold it up. I can just constantly move and scan. And then you have scopes, like the normal rifle scope. So when we talk about um, small budget, right, um, what I suggest is um, you, you need something to move along within the forest and you want to do that without normal <coughs> day, daylight uh, torch. So instead, you use a red light headlamp. Uh, costs you nothing or very little. Uh, will all make uh, will make a big difference. You'll be able to walk at night. Animals don't get spooked. Um, <clears throat> so then, the where you want to spend all your money is a thermal monocular. And this is important. A monocular <clears throat> is basically think of it as binoculars, but one tube instead of two. Right. So you bring it up to your eye. Um, and you look through it. You basically set it onto your eye socket and you look through it and you scan. And when you're done scanning, um, you either put it in your pocket or it just dangles down your neck because it has a neck strap. So what you do is you walk with that thermal. You find an animal. You might not be able to tell what it is, but you know there is one. And if it moves, most of the time um, you can tell what it is based on how it moves, right? So that's where you want to spend all your money. 
um, anything usable will start at $1,500. <clears throat> so that's going to be probably the night tech range, uh, Australian brand. So put your money there. And any dollar then in addition you can put into that to get it to maybe $2,000 is going to be making all the difference in the world. Right? Then when you found something and you know, oh, yeah, this is probably a pig, um, or I want to have look, that's when you bring up your normal rifle with your day scope, but you put a red light torch on top of it. And this is important. If you use a day times torch, you probably will spook the animal. So it doesn't give you this first shot where you have all the time in the world to make a real good shot. Um, and so take a red light torch, preferably dimmable, so you can dim slowly up the intensity to um, until you're sure what it is and you verify, yep, 100%, it's a, it's a pig, I'm going to take the shot, um, instead of putting it full beam at full power and blind it, right? Even red light will, at some intensity, annoy. It's more an annoyance to them, um, so they start buggering off. So you want to you start it slow. If you don't have a dimmable, the trick, and this is a this is worth a million bucks, this tip, is bring <laughs> the light or the beam slowly onto the animal. Don't just put it on it. Bring it from the outside in and only as far as you need to. And then you confirm, okay, and then you slowly bring it over the animal so you get the crosshairs on and you take your shot. If you have a couple fifty bucks spare. Buy yourself a monopod, a bipod, or a tripod. Now, that will help you to get that first shot 100% right, and then follow-up shots will be relatively smooth because you're already on somewhat of a stable platform. Now, um, <clears throat> especially now when you uh, – oh, so, sorry, one thing I forgot to say about the thermal monocular – it's important to you to try to buy one with as much, it's called base magnification, so the zoom uh, that you can afford because it saves you a lot of walking. You know there is an animal in the distance, but you don't know what it is? Well, what does it mean? It means I have to walk over there. Ah, crap, it's a rock. I just walked 200 meters for nothing. So it saves you a lot of walking if you can tell what it is from where you are. Um, again, Pay as much as you can afford. Um, it will be of value to you and save you from walking kilometers. Now, the difference, though, is if you're on a car, the zoom is going to become a problem or the, the yeah, the zoom is going to become a problem because with higher zoom becomes a smaller field of view, just like if you look through a normal telescope, right? If you have it on the power of two, you can see everything, right, all the way, you know, 100 meters from one end to the other. But once you zoom up to 25, you can barely see, you know, the entire target for argument's sake. So with monocles, it's the same thing. If you imagine driving at, um, during the day with binoculars at, at eight power on your eyes, you're going to get seasick. And monoculars, thermal monoculars at night, it's the same thing. It's It basically works very similar. So you want a wide field view so you don't get seasick and or you can actually see something and not just bouncing around um, 
no, an image bouncing around. Even if there is an animal, it'll be all over the shop and you won't be even recognizing it as an animal. <clears throat> so altogether, this setup, I mean, costs like maybe $1,600 if you're clever about it and you buy stuff off eBay and AliExpress.com.au and you're good to go. And it gives you 60, 70% of the success someone would get if they spend 10, 15, $20,000. So um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I wouldn't have even thought about that before. I'm used to the ones, at least again, this is the purpose of, as we were discussing earlier, doing this show, because I would never have thought, okay, we, we ascertain where the target is first with the monocular. That might be just hanging around our neck or it could be on a helmet, whatever it is. And then obviously from there, once we know where the animal is, then we turn a red light torch onto the gun and then shoot from there. I just thought, oh, it's weird. You know, like I never would have thought that before. I just, I've never even seen that. Most people compare the night vision to, oh, I'm looking through the scope. I can see the animal there and then bang, which obviously you can do as well. But I didn't think this would be sort of a popular way to go about it, but it seems that it is. Oh, look, um, it's it's the way to go if you have a budget um and then we can talk about what happens if you don't have a budget um <laughs> so what you what you want to do there is assuming you're walking and stalking what you do is you get yourself a thermal helmet mountable monocle and i recommend the infiray mini mh25 it's the top of the line the best resolution um that we can get here in australia um and what it does basically it gives you your hands free you don't have to bring up a monocular to your eye it's mounted to the helmet and it sits in front of your eye permanently imagine the um the imagery you see from hollywood movies when they go oh we're going dark and you know they put down their night vision <laughs> from the helmet yeah. that's it I mean that's where the name came from <clears throat> for for my website, but that's that's that scene, right? So you have that hands free. You can walk around in complete darkness because it's thermal. It doesn't need an infrared light or anything else. You just walk. They'll never hear you or see you coming. And then and you're not walking into bushes and stuff, which is sort of fall down cliffs. So then, assumingly, you see something in the distance. You go, okay, cool. I know there's something. There. The, the helmet-mounted monoculars generally have an extreme wide field of view. Actually, they have a one-power magnification, which means they are not different to your eyes. Because if they would, you would fall over things. Because, yeah, it's like walking with binoculars in front of you and trying to walk through a forest. It's not going to work. So they are exactly like your eyes, so you can see your hands in front of it. You know, you can work, you can walk, um, and, you know, walking into things. But the downside is that you don't get that distance. So you know something is up 200 meters down there, but you have no idea what it is or further. So that's when you need your high-end thermal monocular, right? And you can go, or binocular. So the binocular I recommend is the Pulsar Ecolate 2 with an integrated laser rangefinder. Now that's the top of the line. You're talking 10 grand just for that. Um, and it tells you the distance to the target. So you can laser rangefind it. Um, and it's thermal. So with that thing, you know, at five, six, seven hundred meters, I know, I know what I'm looking at. And I can work out the distance, so either I take the shot from where I am and I know my shot placement, or 
I'll start walking because I know it's too far for my uh, for my shooting. Um, so after that, you you're now at the point where okay, I know there's a deer. It's 500 meters away. I can get there because I got helmet mounted monocular, um, and I verify the distance and I know what it is. So I'm going to go a little closer. So I keep walking to like 250 meters, right? And then I pull up my gun. And on my gun, I would either have a Thermion XP50 thermal scope or the Infuray Rico um, RH50. They're very comparable. One is Pulsar, which is a European brand, or Infuray, which is Chinese brand. Don't ditch the Chinese. They probably made the phones that we're using and the computers we're using in the servers. So there's some good stuff coming out of China. I understand, obviously, politically, it's a, it's a bit no-no at the moment. But nevertheless, they are very comparable. Um, and so I would have that on my rifle. And because I already know what it is now, I just need to be close enough to tell where the head is, you know, where the shoulders are, so I can get a real good shot placement. And with a thermal, I have the advantage that even if there's grass or bushes in the way, with unless it's thick bushes, right, light, <coughs> light bushes, I can still easily make them out, um, and I don't have to swap between the monocular, uh, monocular to look, oh, okay, it's between two trees to the left, of, of a pond and then bring up a night vision device where I go, okay, there's two trees, there's the pond, somewhere in between there, I'm looking for a deer shape. Um, no, with a thermal, it, it just stands out and I can I can take that shot. Now, I combine that with a Primos Gen 3 tripod. Um, I personally use one. I got to love them. They're lightweight. Uh, they expand by pushing a button. One button, so I don't have to undo every single leg to the right height. I just push a button, they come down, they spread out, and whenever I release the button, the tripod um, goes solid. So I can easily, in, in a second or two, bring that into place, put my gun on it, and I'm ready to shoot. Um, I combine that with a clamp um, that holds my rifle so I don't have to hold my rifle. And then I can easily just sit it in my shoulder. And because sometimes I sit at a dam for hours um, and I don't want to hold my rifle and get annoys me on my knees or leaned against the chair, it's all not good practice. So I just clamp it into that on the tripod and it sits there like a torrent um, and I'm ready to roll. And look, that setup, you know, you you beyond $20,000. Man. <laughs> Seems like the sky's the limit when we start talking about night vision. <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, it is. Uh, important. Look, the big, big takeaway is it doesn't have to be. Spend the money at the right thing that gives you the most value for your type of hunting. And that's so important. That's why good advice in this field, because it is complex, right? It, it, a lot of people struggle with this. And it takes a long time to learn. and figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, you can spend $10,000 on a device and it's absolutely useless to you because it might, you know, have a, a minimum power or magnification of five, but you use it in a forest where you maximum distance is 70 meters. It's useless. You would not, you would throw it away, right? So you got to spend the money on the right thing that suits your style of hunting. Just like you buy a sporter lightweight rifle when you walk a lot, 
but not when you want to shoot a target at a target range at a thousand meters, right? Exactly. Just like that. You got to get the right equipment to do the right job. And that all comes down to either you smarten up and reading a lot and watching a lot of videos or ask the right guys to give you the right advice. Perfect. So, but if people want to, because again, I, my mind's a bit blown. Because as I said, I wasn't even sure, like you know, from before, where people were mounting, you know, red torches on their thing and using the monocle to to spot games. So it's certainly something different than I was even used to. So um, my mind's blown as well. So if people want to get in contact with you, first off, I guess tell us about the website. Where can they find you if they want to buy stuff? But most importantly which is obviously they've heard this show, but they want to get advice about what's the best thing for what they need for what their use actually is going to be. How do they get in contact with you, et cetera? Yeah, look, um, the the best way is to go to the website, um, goingdark.com.au. Um, on there are all my contact details, so phone number, email address. There's also a little button in the bottom right corner for instant chat, so that goes straight onto my mobile phone. Um if I am just not having my phone in my pocket or I'm on a call or something, um, it'll prompt you to leave your details. Um, I will always get back to you as soon as I possibly can, um, absolutely within the day, uh, but normally within within minutes. Uh, so just leave your contact details in there and, and I'll get in touch with you and then we'll have a chat. I normally – look, normally I do it via phone just because um, – the amount of information I need to make the right advice is quite a bit. Um, so I'll be asking about uh, where do you hunt, what's the climate, um, what, well, obviously what's the budget, but um, do you hunt on open fields, do you hunt in the forest, um, do you hunt small critters, um, at what distance do you generally shoot them. Um, so it all these data points will eventually make up um, my advice. And then I'll be saying, look, this product uh, from this brand or this product from this brand, um, they're very similar. The budget might be slightly different, but this is the minimum that you need. Um, and so anything below that is is not going to satisfy you. And anything above that might neither, right? Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you can go above and beyond. Um, it might not add any value to you. You better be off spending the money somewhere else. Mate, where do you see the, I guess, future before we finish off the future? I mean, it's obviously come quite a long way over the last, you know, three to five years, especially in, in technology and in how much, you know, our money buys us. So where do you see sort of the future of the technology going forward? Yeah, um, it's quite interesting. So <clears throat> what we've seen in the past is um, the prices for thermal specifically have come down dramatically. Uh, and that's the, the reason for that is that, the sensors that sit behind that germanium rare earth becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. And what that means is that we need less lens size to do the same job, right? Because the sensor is getting smaller, so the lens can get smaller. So therefore, in consequence, the, the production costs become smaller and therefore they become cheaper and more available. So $1,500 these days would be something that two years ago was at least twice the price, if not more. So that's going to continue. We're now down to 17 micron um, sensors, uh, sorry, from 17 down to 12, the newest one, and I expect that keeps on going as, as the technology advances. The next thing is we have more uh, sensitive sensors, so sensitive to 
differences in heat, which gives you just a better clarity in the picture, in the contrast. Um, the pixels, just like your TV, right? Remember the good old TV, and now we have, you know, HD and Ultra HD and 4K and 8K. Just like that, um, thermal and night, uh, digital night vision will improve from a, from a pixels perspective. There is such a thing as HD thermal thermals, but they're $50,000. I can get you one if you get the money, but, you know, realistically, unless you really want it for commercial uh, videoing or something like that, making movies, um, it's probably not going to be in anybody's budget. But give it, you know, five years and everybody's going to run around with one. Um, longer battery life. The improvements in battery life um, in general uh, means also that on any of these devices have longer and longer battery life, which makes the whole charging less of a pain. We now have the first colored, uh, color digital night vision um, called the Cyanix uh, Aurora, and that is just the first one. So I expect that a lot of digital night vision scopes eventually will also change to color mode at night. So daytime and nighttime is going to be the same. So you can now then pick out that black pig uh, with black background. You be able to a lot more able to see that. You're right. Grass is going to be green instead of gray and all these things. So that's going to be awesome. Potentially, we might see a fusion of digital and uh, digital night vision and thermal, where you do have that good resolution from the digital uh, night vision and overlay a thermal image on top of that to really make the animal pop, um, but have the detail on the image to know that it's a deer, right? Um, <clears throat> but companies have tried this, and there are a few that came out with something, but nobody really broke through yet. And the last thing which I'm quite excited about is artificial animal recognition. So I actually worked with a company, Green Room Robotics, here in Australia together, and we developed a um, software uh, and a uh, an artificial intelligence that can identify animals based on the heat signature, and like so much better than human skin. And so a company called Ninox here in Brisbane, they uh, have a bunch of drones, big drones, like really expensive drones, and they fly for the government, they fly surveys and scanning areas at night to assess how many feral deer, feral pigs are on the land to then pinpoint their mitigation efforts. Um, and that was great work. And I foresee that if the computer chips get better because you need a lot of computing power, and that's a limiting factor at the moment. Once that gets better, um, we might see that integrated into our scopes. So our scopes will verify with us or for us almost um, what you're shooting at. Obviously, trust it. Make sure you show yourself. But at some point, they will probably outperform us. Um, yeah. So a bright future ahead. But the takeaway, everything is going to get cheaper. Um, but at some point, you got to buy it and use it. And then, yeah, the <laughs> next time you buy a new device, it's going to be even better. Yeah, absolutely. What about where do you want to take your business moving forward anyway in regards to night vision and so forth? Yeah, look, we, we, we stand for customer service, right? <clears throat> so I, I do things like I upgrade all the software to the latest firmware 
So when you get it, it's ready to go. The only exception is if I don't get to touch it. So if it comes straight from distributor to um, to you as the end consumer uh, because you need it immediately for whatever reason. Um, but other than that, um, it's the customer service side uh, that we're working on. And the other one is we're going to develop a lot of educational content just like this podcast, right? Um, so there'll be a lot of video content coming out. There'll be a lot of product reviews coming out uh, that are standardized so we can actually compare product one to another. Um, and there's, yeah, there's really exciting stuff coming, so stay tuned for that. Um, and then what I would love to implement is a try before you buy. I mean, again, you know, people that never used thermal or night vision before, um, they can't it's hard for them to grasp how much of a difference it makes and, and if they actually um, can use it in their hunting experience so i would love to implement a try before you buy um rental uh, where it, let's say you want to use and there's a five thousand dollar thermal monocular you want to you want to potentially buy you know um, you pay me for a week's worth of rent um, but you decide to buy it well you know i just um you, you get a discount in the amount of the rental price. Uh, if you don't like it, well, you, you had it for a week, you went out for hunting, uh, for a week hunting, and you had a great time, and, and, and so be it. So uh, a rental unit uh, or rental units on offer. And then the last thing is because of the rental units and because we test a lot of products, um, soon we'll start offering demo and ex-rental units, and they're going to be at, at phenomenal prices so if you're on a budget and you really want to put every dollar in like getting the best that you can, that's the way to go. Um, obviously, we're sure they proper, they work properly, et cetera, and all these things. So there's some, yeah, exciting things to come over the next uh, 12 to 16 months. So stay tuned. Perfect, mate. And what was that website again? If they want to go on there, they want to contact you and um, get some advice or make some purchases, what's the website again? Yeah, goingdark.com.au. All right, Bastian, thanks for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it in uh, sharing your knowledge on thermals and night vision. It's been a fantastic show. So, guys, jump on there, goingdark.com.au if you want to you know, purchase or want to get more advice on uh, taking your hunting to the next level. So, Bastian, thanks for coming on the show, mate. I super appreciate it. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Jason. Good to be on. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.